we want to jump into the sermon today. And the question I want us to ask is, what is holding us back from fulfilling God's call in our life? All right, I think this is a, a serious question that should be asked. We should uh, recognize that God has something for us to do. And sometimes as we try to move forward in life and fulfill that, we get held back. And, and, and I want to ask the question, why? Why does that happen? And I think one of the simplest answers that we oftentimes just overlook in our lives is sin that we might have in our life. You know, sin is extremely harmful. It can keep us from fulfilling all that God wants us to do. And so I want us to take a moment today and just look at our lives and examine and see if maybe the reason that we're struggling, maybe the reason why we're not moving forward in our walk with God is because of sin. And so we want to kind of talk about that. Uh, I want us to look at a passage from Hebrews just briefly. Uh, The author of Hebrews in in chapter 12 uh, says this. He says, let us then throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The author of Hebrews recognized that in our lives, sometimes sin keeps us from going forward. He talks about a race that has been marked out for us, okay? We, as Christians, as as people of God, we have something that God wants us to do, all right? We have a task that God prepared in advance that we should do them, all right? And so we have something that we are supposed to do, but sometimes we are hindered by sin. And the author of Hebrews recognizes, he says, you guys need to get rid of the sin, that hinders you and that easily entangles you and run with perseverance, with endurance, the race that's set for you. See, sin is one of those things that gets us stuck. And so if you are here today and you feel like you are stuck in life, if you feel like you just aren't able to get ahead, maybe the problem is sin. Maybe in your life, there is a sin issue that you have not dealt with. And so I want us to think about that as we go through uh, our passage today. Uh, We are in the book of Joshua. We're looking at this idea of the amazing God that we have. Uh, And so we want to continue this story. Last week we talked about uh, how God had timing, how God provided for his people. We talked about how he did this miraculous thing where he destroyed the walls of Jericho and the Israelites were able to go in and conquer without even really having to raise a hand. All right? It was amazing. And, and the, we're told that the fame of Joshua spreads throughout the land. And this would have been easy to see, right? All right, Jericho was probably a, a city that other kings had tried to conquer in the past and had died on the walls of Jericho to try to take. All right, and so for Joshua to come in and take it without much trouble, without probably even losing a soldier, this would have made his name great. The fame of his name would have been spread throughout the land. And the people of Canaan would have started to get a little worried. Now, the Israelites, on the other hand, after taking Jericho without much battle, man, they thought everything else was going great. Man, this is going to be easy, is what they're thinking. All right, so we're going to look at the story of their next battle, uh, the Battle of Ai, and it's going to be in Joshua chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to, to open them up to Joshua chapter 7. You're going to have to go. All right. And uh, we want to read uh, verses... We're going to read verse 2 to begin with, 
And here's what it says. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up, spy out the region. So the men went up, and they spied out Ai. All right, and so uh, Joshua, he's done this before. He, he has um, talked to, he sent out spies to kind of see what was going on. We, we didn't read it, but we see in Joshua chapter 2 that that's what he did to, to figure out what was going on with Jericho. All right, so he sent out spies, they looked at it, and then they came back. Now, why is he sending out spies? You know, it's a good question. They have God on their side. They don't really need to worry about a bunch. Why is he still sending out these scouts to see what is ahead? And I think there's two easy answers for this. All right, the first is that they uh, are looking at the um, tactical advantage of the land. All right, you, when you're going to fight a battle, you want to be tactically in the right. You want the high ground. You want to make sure that there's no traps, no places where you're going to get ambushed. And so sending out scouts to kind of see what the lay of the land would have been helpful in this. Also, we read last week that manna has stopped being provided for them. And so now you have this large army and a lot of men, and they're probably really hungry, and men eat a lot, right? All right, and so especially fighting men, and so they would have needed food. And so sending out scouts to kind of see, you know, here's a field that we can take, here's some food, and being able to provide for their soldiers would have been important as well. Well, these scouts, they go out, uh, they come back in verse 3, and they say to Joshua, Joshua, now the army is going to have to go up against Ai, uh, send two or three thousand men to take it. Do not weary the whole army. The, only a few people live there. So they go to Ai and they say, you know what? This town is nothing. All right? it's, it's like the Avaz of Canaan. Okay? It is nothing. It's going to take, be nothing to take it. Two or three thousand men. You don't even have to send up the whole army. Don't weary them out. You don't want the, the, the army to be re- attacked and them not being able to fight. So it, it was nothing. It was easy. So Joshua does that. You know, that's the point of reason why he scouted in the first place. What is it going to take to take this city? And so he sends the two or three thousand. And in verse four, we read about the battle. This is what it says. The three thousand men went up. Then they were routed by the men of Ai. They killed 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gates as far as the stone quarries, and he struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. And we have to pause there, because we've we've just witnessed some things in the history of the Israelites. We've witnessed uh, God bringing them out of Egypt. We've witnessed God destroying the Egyptian army at the Red Sea. We've witnessed them coming into the Promised Land. We've seen Jericho's walls fall down. And then we have this puny little town that they just send out a small force that's going to overpower them. And what happens? They are routed. AI was nothing compared to Jericho, and yet Ai is able to chase the Israelites back to their people. And the author of Joshua uses a beautiful word picture here, right? He says, their hearts melted like water. I mean, it's that picture of just their heart, their courage was just flowing away from them. And I think in the back of their minds, the Israelites are asking this question at this moment, Is God big enough to take Canaan? 
See, in that age, it was all about whose God was more powerful in their minds. And so when they come into Canaan, you know, they, after defeating Jericho, are like, yeah, our God is huge. And then they get to Ai, and it's like, what happened? And they're confused because they don't know what's going on. We, we, get, the, we get the hindsight of, of verse 1 that we didn't read, all right, but they don't understand. They're confused. And I think sometimes in our lives, we get to these places where we're stuck, where we don't really know how to move forward in life, and we ask this same question, God, are you big enough to take care of what's going on in, our li- in my life? And sometimes we wonder that because we don't know all the time if He is. At least we don't always feel like He is. I mean, the news gets back to the leaders, and, and they're perplexed. They have no idea what is going on. And so even the leaders start to question, God, what is going on? And Joshua, he has an amazing reaction. We read about it in verses 6 through 9 when we read this. Joshua, he tears his clothes, and he falls face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there to evening. He tears his clothes as a sign of what's going on inside him. He is anguished. And so he wants people to know that this is what he's feeling, so he tears his clothes. And as he's laying there before the the Ark of the Covenant, the elders of the Israelites, they do the same thing. They tear their clothes, they lay face down before the Ark, and they start to spread dust and ashes on their heads, a sign of mourning. And Joshua says to the Lord, he says, Sovereign Lord, why did you bring the people across the Jordan River to deliver us to the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. I mean, these words reflect what the Israelites said over and over and over again throughout the wandering period. Over and over again, the Israelites faced difficulties in their lives, and they said to God, God, why did you take us out of Egypt? Well, we can answer that, can't we? What was God's call to the Israelites. What were they supposed to do? Anybody? They were supposed to go where? To the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. All right, this is, this is what God's call was. Joshua, Moses, Israelites, you are to enter the promised land. This is your land. You get to own it. So when Joshua asked that question, God, why did you bring us here? He's asking that question, God, why is this happening? God, why are you doing this to me? I mean, he continues and he says, uh, pardon your servant, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by the enemies? And then he says, Canaanites are going to surround us and they're going to defeat us and they're going to kill us all. God, why did you do this? Do you ever ask that question of God? God, why am I in this situation? God, why am I facing this? I think in the back of Joshua's mind, he has an understanding of how God worked. See, our God, there's two aspects that we have to keep in mind about God as we read the book of Joshua. One is God's holiness. 
And we read about holiness of God in verses like Leviticus 11, 44-45, where he says this, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself and be holy, because I am holy. At the end of this passage, he'll say this. He says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. And this word holy, I don't think we fully grasp because we don't usually use it, right? It's a religious word. It's a word that when we say holy, we think of like holy water, right? It's a word that's associated to religion. But holy is more than that. Holy is just, it's anything that you set apart. So so in my life, there's things that are holy to me. Like my wedding ring. I, I usually don't take it off if I do because of whatever, you know, I put it in a place that I want it back. I put it in a place that my kids aren't going to play with it because I don't want them to touch it. It is holy to me. And that's really what the word means. It's anything that you set apart for a specific purpose. And God, he is holy, and he's holy, set apart, different when compared to our world. Our world is sinful. Our world has sin dwelling in it. It's a part of who we are in so many ways. And, and we sin, and we get to the place in our lives where, where sin is put in front of us, and we don't even blink twice about it. Evil. Bad. And God, He is holy. He is different than the rest of this. And because God is holy, He cannot stand the presence of sin with him or with his people. And so this brings up the second aspect of God that we have to keep in mind as we read Joshua, and that is the justice of God. Our God is a just God, and because he is holy and because he cannot stand the presence of sin, he must do something about it. We see God's justice worked out throughout the Old Testament. We see it when the world gets so evil that God looks at it and says, i got to start over on this. And we get Noah and the flood, and God re- redoes it with Noah. It's God dealing with sin because He is a holy God and a just God. We see it throughout the period of the Israelites after they've conquered the land where they turn away from God to idols and God, being a holy God, cannot stand sin amongst His people or in His presence. And so He deals with it by sending other nations to punish the Israelites. We see it ultimately in the New Testament when God, looking at His creation and wanting to make it new again, sends Jesus the ultimate sacrifice to deal with the ultimate problem of sin in people's lives. Our God, because He is holy and because He is just, needs to deal with sin. See, this world that God created, it was good. And sin entered the world and it ruined it. And God is working to bring about this new creation. But it involves getting rid of sin. Sin is a cancer. Sin is something that must be cut out of his people. So in the Old Testament, when God uses nations to punish other nations for their sin, 
is because of his justness. And so when we look at the defeat at Ai, Joshua is asking this question, God, what have we done? Why have you done this to us? Why? Well, God answers Joshua in verses 10 through 12. He says this, the Lord says, Stand up, Joshua. What are you doing with, on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them into their own possession. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs on me. So the problem that the Israelites have is this sin problem. Now, Joshua has no idea what the sin is. All right, Joshua is not aware of what's going on. God is, though. See, there's this guy named Achan. And Achan, as he was entering Jericho, he knew what was expected of him. All of Jericho was to be devoted towards God. It was supposed to be either brought to the temple or burned, whatever, whichever it can. If it can't burn, bring it to the, the tabernacle. But Achan, as he entered into this town, he saw some things that he coveted and he wanted for himself, and he took it. And while it may seem insignificant to us, sin matters to God. It doesn't matter how large or how small the sin is, the sin was the problem. And it broke this relationship between God and between Israel. And so God said, I can't be with you because our God is holy. So here's the question for you. If you're struggling today, sometimes the struggles are because of other people's sins affecting us, but sometimes it's because of sin in our life, in my own life, that I struggle. What sin do you have? A lot of times I think we look at that and we, we get asked that question. We're like, I, I'm good. I mean, most of us probably would be like, to, my, to our faces, right? If I asked everyone, you would all say you're good, right? We don't want people to know what's going on. I mean, Joshua, when we look at uh, how he's going to deal with it, he does a couple of things. Let's read it real quick. Verses 16 through 19, we read that next morning Joshua has all of Israel come up. He he has them line up by tribe. They figure out which tribe it is. It's Judah. He has the, the, the tribe of Judah come up by clan, and he figures out what clan and then what family, and they finally get to Achan. All right, in verse 19, Joshua says to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan's reply is this, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. I saw a from the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold. All right, and so what happens in these verses is this, is that Joshua, not knowing what the sin is, seeks it out. You know, he just knows that something is wrong. God has told him there is sin. You need to figure it out. And, and Joshua goes and he finds it. And sometimes in our lives, we're going to have to seek out the sin that's holding us back. 
Sometimes we know in the back of our minds, but sometimes we kind of like to hide it and we start to fool ourselves that what we are doing isn't wrong, that what we're doing isn't a sin against God. But the reality is, is that we need to seek it out. And then Joshua asked Achan, Achan, tell me what you've done. So once we've sought out our sin, we have to vocalize the problem. Here's what I notice in my life. When I'm dealing with sin and I choose not to tell anybody, I never deal with it. I just keep sinning. There's a few friends of mine that I talk to on a regular basis and and when we discuss each other's issues, the things that we're dealing with, and when I tell them the sin problems that I'm dealing with, that's when I have accountability. That's when I have people that are asking the question, are you doing well? And it's only by vocalizing the problem, admitting it to God, to myself, to other people, that I am able to start working on it. And so when Joshua comes to Achan, he's asking him, admit what you've done. Tell me what has happened. And Achan does. Now, we also see here uh, at the very end of verse 21, he says, I hid these things in my tent, in the ground. I buried them. All right. He dug a hole. Why did he dig a hole and hide this stuff? Because he knew what he had done was wrong. See, this is what I think we do with our sins, is we bring it into our tent where no one sees us and we bury it. That way no one knows it's there. And when we allow sin to do that and to be in the deepest part of who we are and we're not dealing with the problem, it just grows and grows like cancer. And so there's something else that we have to do. Israel, once they find this stuff, they bring it before everybody and they take Achan and his family and they stone him. And that seems harsh to us. But here's the problem, is that sin has to be dealt with. Sin in our lives has to be cut. And when we look at Jesus, Jesus said the same thing to his disciples Uh, He was talking about the sin problem. He says, you know what? If you sin and it's because your hand causes you to sin, what are you to do? You're to cut it off. If your eyes cause you to sin, you're to gouge them. Now, he's not speaking literally, right? We, We shouldn't go cut off our hands or gouge our eyes. Don't do that. I'm not saying do that. All right? What I am saying is this, is that Jesus is saying it is better for your hand to be cut off or your eyes to be gouged out than for your whole body to go to hell. When you have sin in your life, you have to cut it out. What sins are you dealing with? What sins do you have in your life? This is something I think we have to complicate contemplates in our lives and we have to be open and honest with ourselves if we sit there and say i'm good i'm good i'm good we never will deal with the problem and this calling in our lives whatever it is that god is is directing you to god wants you to fulfill it god wants the israelites to conquer the canaan 
But because of the sin in their nation, they couldn't. God wants you to do the task, to run the race, to do the things that He has called you and He is desiring you for to do. But if you have sin in your life, you cannot have a good relationship with Him. You have to deal with the sin. And it may mean that you make drastic changes. Right, if you're dealing with pornography and you do it on the computer, then maybe you get rid of the computer. If you're dealing with lying in your life, then maybe you talk to people and say, hey, I lie all the time. I need you to talk to me about it. If you're dealing with, with covetousness, right, there, there are so many ways. There are so many ways that whatever you're dealing with, you can work on cutting it from you. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. On the uh, inside of your pews, there is some pieces of paper, and I want you guys all to grab one. Uh, we're going to have music here in a little bit, and I, I just ask two questions. What is the sin that you have, and how can you cut it? How can you get rid of it in your life? And you don't Show this to anyone. You can if you really want to. But you don't have to show it to anyone. I want you to be honest. To examine the deepest part of who you are. To examine your life to its fullest. And see what sin you have. They're going to play music and then I'll come back up. Let's I hope that you've uh, taken time to honestly look at yourself because when we deal with sin and we work with it, uh, then God blesses that. Uh, we see it in chapter 8 of Joshua when the Israelites, after having dealt with the issue of Achan's sin, they come back to Ai and they are able to defeat it pretty easily just as they thought they could in the beginning. And it first started, though, with them dealing with sin. See, our God is an amazing God. Our God is a holy God, and our God wants to have a relationship with us, but sometimes we allow sin to separate us from our Heavenly Father. And we need to deal with it. I'd invite you to, to keep those papers if you want. Uh, if you need prayer, you don't have to write your names on it. There'll be a basket uh, that if you're dealing with something serious that you just want the elders to pray for you, uh, the, the ministers to pray for you. You can drop it in the basket as you leave. Uh, we want to help you. We want you to be holy like our Heavenly Father is holy. We want you, like the Israelites, to deal with the sin and to fulfill your role, to fulfill the place where God is calling you. Don't allow sin to hold you back. We pray with me. Father God, we are amazed at Jesus and the sacrifice he gave. 
Father, we, we examine our lives and we look at the places where we uh, do not always succeed in following You. Help us, Father, when we sin. Help us not to allow that to continue to, to be a barrier between You and us. Help us instead, Father, to deal with the sin, to, to cut it out, to, to take the sin away from us. We're grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus who gives us forgiveness. Lord, let us not keep on sinning. Instead, let us be holy like You are holy. Help us to be set apart. Help us to be men and women of faith who are reflecting You in all aspects of our lives. Help us, Father, when we don't have strength on our own. Help us to to just imitate you in all things. We ask this in your name. Amen.